Hello, and welcome to the Serotonin Central Podcast. This podcast is focused on bringing you light and uplifting content during difficult times. We hope you feel at home listening to a couple friends lounge around and discuss whatever comes to mind. I'm Andrew, and unfortunately, Mayor Kate is out today, sick, so please send her your love via voice message. But today, we have a very special guest, Lexi Whitehouse. Lexi, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Good, good. How are you doing? I'm good. Just uh, enjoying a nice, lazy Sunday. <laughs> it, it is raining over here, back in Virginia. What's the weather like over there in Kansas? Uh, it's very sunny and warm. Yesterday, it was like 60 degrees, so I'm ready for spring. 60 degrees. Wow. I know. I think it's a big change from what? It was negative 13 a couple of days ago? Yeah, about a week ago, we were in the sub, like negative 22 with wind chill you know it's good sub negative 22 with wind chill holy cow so do you have to go to work in those conditions yes yep uh uh, no matter the weather i have to go to work because the hospital never closes i am a clinical microbiologist Um, technically my certification is an mls which stands for medical laboratory scientist Um, and i'm certified by the american society of clinical pathology And so I needed a bachelor's degree plus uh, specialized training to do this work. Um, Right now, even though I can do pretty much anything you can think of, if you ever go to get a lab test done um, at a hospital or a clinic, I can do it all, almost all of it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I am certified in blood banking, um, urinalysis, chemistry, hematology, and microbiology. my bachelor's degree in uh, undergrad at Virginia Tech was in microbiology. So I consider that to be my specialty. And that is uh, almost exclusively what I do now. Um, and I work at Research Medical Center in Kansas City, Missouri. Wow. Dang, that's, I don't even know where to begin to cover with that. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but you said you work with research primarily or? So yeah, actually, that's mm-hmm. funny that you say that because it's kind of a, um, I want to have just it. It's kind of a misdirection. Research Medical Center is not technically a research institution. It's more of a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually couldn't tell you exactly where the name came from. I think they do some um, progressive or like experimental stuff there as far as like surgeries and treatment goes. But my work is actually not research-based. It is diagnostic-based. Diagnostic. So, so if you ever, you know, if you, you know, have you know, you cut your finger and it gets infected and the doctor needs to know what bacteria is causing that infection. They will take a swab of your finger, your hand. We will take it and put it on media and we will basically grow whatever pathogen is growing in your body. And then we will figure out what it is and how to treat it. So I'm not doing any um, scientific research, but I am Mm -hmm. using science to figure out what's going on, what's the problem and how to fix it. Oh, have you seen any like radical like growths in those plates or like what's the most craziest thing you've seen so far? Mm. Oh. <laughs> um, mm, that's a good question. I see lots of different pathogens. Um, you know, I did, uh, you know, we get, hmm. We get so many. So I I work on all kinds of cultures. I work on blood cultures, urine cultures, sputum, spinal fluid, body fluid. Ooh. Uh, literally anything you could think of that you can culture, I've done it. So um, I can't really tell you like the craziest thing I've seen off the top of my head, but we do get a lot of multi-drug resistant organisms like MRSA Mm -hmm. and um, um, 
multi-drug resistant gram negative rods. Like we, we really see pretty much everything. And in my facility, we have our hospital research medical center. We also have about six or so other hospitals in the surrounding area. And my lab, we do all of the microbiology for all of those hospitals. So I get lots and lots and lots of work to do and see lots of different types of patients and different kinds of cases to work on. Wow. Did you say that you actually like to see a couple of patients from time to time? Fortunately, I actually don't see patients, which mm -hmm. I actually find kind of nice because I'm a very empathetic person. And for me to see people in pain or to see people sick, mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult for me. But I love helping people. So with my work, I like to know that I'm helping people. I'm making a difference. Um, I'm helping doctors and nurses, you know, find the best plan of action. And I don't have to worry about that empathetic part of myself getting um, a huge toll on it because I can compartmentalize what I'm working on. I'm seeing a specimen, not a patient. Oh, that's a that's a pretty good point. The compartmentalization. Um, mm -hmm. I've been trying to work on that too. But how has COVID kind of has that like mm. has COVID impacted that sense of compartmentalization for you, or has that kind of breaking through? Like, has it? torn down those barriers? Is it harder to kind of work with these samples knowing that these people could be infected or they could be in pain, as you said? Are you talking about, you're talking about like not safety, you're talking about the, the patients themselves? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes and no. I think that if I know a patient is COVID positive, you know, you do have that sense of awareness that like this is something a patient's going through and a lot of times mm -hmm. if a patient has a really bad case of covid they're going to have a secondary um, pneumonia infection and so most of the cultures that i would work with with uh, covid patients are going to be from their lungs or if they get really bad and they get septic it'll be from their blood right. um, and so really with COVID, because COVID's a virus, so we don't actually grow COVID at all. Like we're not culturing COVID, right. um, but we do. So in addition to culturing, I also do molecular testing. So I'm actually testing patient samples for COVID. So if you ever go um, get your nose swabbed at your doctor's office or at a hospital, that swab has to go to someone like me and mm -hmm. has to test it on either molecular or serology type test to see if you have COVID or not. So, um, and I have to call the floor if I get a positive COVID and say, hey, this patient is positive for COVID. I'm that first line of contact to tell the nurses and doctors that this patient is positive. So that can be a little intense because sometimes, sometimes the nurses are like, oh yeah, we thought we knew he did. Well, nope, oh. we, we expected that. And sometimes they're shocked and they're like, oh my gosh, we didn't know he had COVID or she had COVID. We need to, you know, get on this right now. So in that way, if I get a positive, my initial reaction, especially if it's a patient who I think might be very high risk, that can be hard to, to think about knowing that they mm -hmm. now are in a situation right. where they could be, they, they could die, you know, and that's right. hard to process. Sometimes I had to call one, um, not too long ago on a mother who was going to have a C-section in a couple of days and she was positive for COVID. And that to me, I was, that was hard because I actually do know by two degrees of separation, someone who mm -hmm. has um, got COVID while they were pregnant and unfortunately didn't make it. Oh. So it's scary. It really is. And you have to, you know, when you're on the, I will actually pause for a second when I say frontline workers, because I want to give a huge shout out to the doctors, the nurses, mm -hmm. the respiratory therapists, the environmental services, 
the phlebotomists, the people who are actually going into these rooms and are actually exposing themselves to these patients without, you know, prior to the vaccine coming out, these are our real heroes here in the medical mm -hmm. field. So even though I am quote unquote frontline and I'm working with these specimens and I'm helping doctors diagnose COVID and other things, I'm not putting my life on the line like these people are. And so I just wanted to say a huge shout out to any nurses, doctors, mm -hmm. uh, respiratory therapists, um, imaging techs, anyone who's really exposing themselves to these uh, patients. Uh, you deserve a round of applause and every happiness in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait for that vaccine to roll out over to me <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. to you too. Um, but kind of like touching back upon like the, you know, compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. um, how has your mental health kind of been since COVID? Like what kind of things have you done to kind of mitigate stress? And as you mentioned, um, that encounter with the woman that was pregnant with Lee that unfortunately passed away. What steps do you take personally to kind mm -hmm. of mitigate stress and just, you know, mental health? Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a really interesting process. And I know coming onto this channel, we wanted to talk about, you know, what was it like from the beginning and mm -hmm. what were the steps that happened within my work and then how that affected my mental health. I feel like when I remember, I think it was maybe January. So I actually started in my micro lab in December of 2019. So literally right before COVID. Mm -hmm. And I was getting all my training done and I was working on everything. And I remember this was probably in January. I saw a news article on NPR about this upcoming strange uh, respiratory virus that was starting in China. And I remember reading that and being like, oh, intriguing. You know, this is interesting to me. And mm -hmm. something that I deal with a lot <laughs> that I have to, when we talk about compartmentalization, when my job is exciting, it's usually bad for patient. When my job is boring, it's usually good for patient. Right. And so, you know, sometimes I'll be like, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome that we found this bug. But in my head, I have to be like, but this patient could, you know, really be sick from it. And mm -hmm. you have to really balance that. But when I saw that COVID was, well, actually, I, rem I remember the day when they called it COVID. They're like, this is going to be called COVID-19. Mm -hmm. I remember being like, that sounds so cool. That sounds so interesting. Like, I want to research this. And and I knew that it was related to um, SARS. I knew mm -hmm. that it was a like the next step of SARS. And so what I knew then was that SARS had it had kind of hit China really hard and East Asia really hard. It hit a little bit of Canada. And I think this was back in the early 2000s. But just like with this, that SARS, and then later with MERS down in the Middle East, those all mutated into weaker forms and eventually died out, never became global pandemics. So in my head, I kind of thought it was going to be the same thing. And I thought, oh, well, we might have a little outbreak here or there, and then it'll go away. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, I really didn't think anything of it other than, oh, this is just like it was before. It really made me question what I knew as it went forward, which can be very hard to deal with as a professional because everyone kept asking me, oh, do you think this is going to be something, Lexi? Oh, do you think this is something? And I don't have a PhD in coronavirus, so I really just based it off what I thought. And I said, oh yeah, I don't think it'll be that bad. I really don't. Mm -hmm. And then it just started slowly getting more and more traction. Mm -hmm. 
And within the lab, it became a conversation of, oh, like what, what do we have here that we can use to help us fight this? And we kept getting calls from doctors being like, oh, are you guys going to test for this? Oh, are you guys going to test for that? Mm-hmm. Oh, what do we have? And it became this, I will tell you, it was so chaotic as it got going because no one knew anything. And we, and so to exist in a mental state where there's chaos all around you yeah. and you have to try to keep your cool and you have to try to keep like, you know, a path forward. It was very difficult. And mm. um, I think that you know, it was like every hour something was changing. And for a while, we were not on the hot list to get reagent to test COVID because we were in the middle of the country in Kansas City. At that time, back in like March and April, New York was getting hit so hard. And Washington, those coastal areas, they were the ones getting ravaged by the COVID. And so for us here in Kansas City, even though we were having cases, we were not important enough in the grand scheme of the country to get the resources we needed to test COVID. And that was very stressful and very hard on our patients and hard on our doctors Mm -hmm. and nurses. Um, And for a while, it was just, I mean, rule out testing. Like we had a respiratory virus panel that we ran that is expensive PCR testing that doctors ordered on everybody because if they had a respiratory symptoms, but their RVP was negative, they probably had COVID, right? So then we had right. hun- we had hundreds of mm-hmm. those ordered when we only had three instruments that only ran one an hour. And wow. you know, it, it and then they wanted us to send it out to reference laboratories that did have testing. And so then we were having to do hand paper requisitions for you know, you know, hundred a day to send out. So it and it always was just something about not knowing. And I think that is what was the scariest of it was not knowing what was going to happen next. And Mm -hmm. so I could go on and on and on about how insane it was, but you know, at the end of the day, you go home and then you hear lockdown and you hear uh, social distancing and all these words that we really hadn't heard before. And then our lives kind of changed and we all experienced this level of grief and that was universal no matter what your job was, no matter where you were in, um, in the country, we all lost the lives that we had. Mm -hmm. And that grief was very real. And it took a while for me to realize that it was grief, grief for the lives that we, yeah. Because at first I was just kind of, you just kind of felt depressed. You felt like hopeless. Yeah. Cause like we're stuck there. Right. You felt stuck. You felt hopeless and Mm -hmm. you didn't know what was going to happen. And that was so scary. And I just remember feeling this sense of like dread and then compounded with my work and knowing that we were going to have to figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all very um, heavy. But then once I realized that it was grief, I started to think of it as like, you had to accept Mm-hmm. And you had to be present and you had to make make sure that your life was going to continue and you didn't let this stop your life. And so I felt like a sense of like bittersweetness to it all. Mm-hmm. And to really think about we are living in a pandemic was so insane to me that we're living history right now. Right. 
And that gave me a sense of comfort too, us knowing that I can tell people that we and my friends and my family, we made it through, we survived, we persevered through all of this. That was what gave me a sense of hope was knowing that we had the ability to make it through. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like your mental anchor was focusing mm -hmm. on the light at the end of the tunnel, essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's inspiring. I have no words for that. I <laughs> like my mental journey from that was just, you know, uh, as you said, like lockdown, everything was chaotic or all around. I can't imagine what it was to, like going to work because like you go to work, there's a fire and you go home. There's still a fire, you know, there's fire all around. Mm. Um, was there, I guess, like all the skills that you might have picked up now, right? Mm -hmm. All like the mental health skills and just like techniques and, you know, items that you would put under your tool belt to mm. to elevate yourself into a better mm. state of being. Mm. Um, what are some things that you would probably want to tell yourself back then? I think the main thing and like a really important thing for all of us is mindfulness and being mm -hmm. present. Find a hobby or find something that gives you yes. joy, that yes. comforts you. Mm -hmm. Make sure you find time to comfort yourself. And that's not greedy and that's not selfish. Comforting yourself is good and you deserve to feel comforted and to feel that warm sensation of, yes, I'm okay and I'm taking care of myself and I'm doing something nice for myself. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a fine line between indulgence and escapism, but understanding like that you are a person worthy of care and comfort that that allows you to really propel yourself up as you tackle these day-to-day -day challenges. You yep. know, I, th I think. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, it's essentially what I kind of picked up was kind of setting boundaries for yourself and for others. It's along the lines of how can you take care of others if you can't take care of yourself? So mm -hmm. I do agree that there is a very fine line between indulgence and then honestly just taking the time to actually care mm -hmm. for yourself. But for me, I think it also boiled down to making sure that you communicate those needs to other people mm -hmm. saying you need to retreat for a little bit. You need to take time for yourself. But you mentioned journaling and I actually started doing that as well. I, it has helped kind of parse my thoughts immensely. I love journaling. Mm -hmm. I, I think we should really be pushing more self-care techniques nowadays. I don't think we do enough of it. And I'm glad that that tide is slowly turning. You know, that we're putting more of a focus on how are you doing? No, no, no. How are you really doing? Kind of yeah. talks with people. What What was the other thing that you mentioned apart from journaling before that? It was uh, yoga, right? Yoga, yes. And um, yeah, any kind of uh, physical activity that gets you breathing, that gets you really calm and helps you clear your mind. Um, something also too, my, my, so my twin sister shout out to Allie. Uh, she's a therapist. And something that she always says um, is that gratitude is grounding. And I thought that kind of brought, came up in my mind is something that helped me in my experience was the gratitude. And what can we be thankful for now? Yes, we're in the middle of pandemic, but I have a roof over my head. I have food in my pantry. I, ha I have the technology to talk to you face to face mm -hmm. right now. And we are together, even though we are virtual, we yep. have that I have gratitude for the fact that we are interacting in real time, even if not in person. I like that. Um, I actually started a gratitude journal a year ago. I haven't written it recently because I kind of forgot about it. So that's <laughs> that's on me. But um, that that's actually really inspiring. I never really thought to put it like that. But like gratitude is grounding because it mm -hmm. helps you put into stock of what you have in your life and what you can actually be thankful mm -hmm. for. Um, yeah. 
and sometimes when I'm really anxious, mm-hmm. I will, if I'm feeling very anxious, I stop and I say things that are true to ground myself and it can include gratitude. So, you know, I say, look, my name is Lexi. I live in Kansas city. I work at research medical center. My fiance is Jake and my dog's name is Luna and I love my dog. And I start kind of going down this list of like, you know, things that are true and things that I love. And it really brings you back, like I said, in that mindfulness, that present space. Mm -hmm. And it calms me down very quickly. Sounds like a really good centering technique then. It is a centering technique. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of gratitude and fiancés, you're mm-hmm. getting married pretty soon, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> Finally. It's I was supposed funny. to get married in October, but due to mm-hmm. COVID, we made the decision, a difficult decision, to move it to the spring, hoping that things would be a little bit better by then. Um, mm-hmm. So now our wedding is about two months out. Yeah, so absolutely. I'm excited, I'm excited for that. Um, so I was curious for you, what was it like trying to plan a wedding in the middle of a pandemic? Well, um, so Jake and I got engaged in 2019 and in April of 2019. So that was well before COVID. And, you know, so by the time COVID came around, we really had, you know, we had all our major vendors. We had our venue. We had our cakes already, you know, picked out. Like we had all these things already done mm-hmm. um, pretty much. And so then covid started happening and just like i said earlier you know i kind of was like oh it'll be fine by october it'll mm-hmm. be fine by then it's that's nine months away oh my gosh yeah it'll totally be fine and as each month went and got more and more crazy and more and more unpredictable i became that sense of dread was amplified because i knew that my wedding was coming up and nothing was getting better everything was getting worse and that was i mean it was, I mean, because it's hard to talk about in a way that that's very clear to me, because it's a very complex emotions for me, because as someone, you know, if I was one of those people that didn't believe in the pandemic and thought it was all a hoax and that nothing, you know, it was all just a government conspiracy, mm-hmm. it would have been very easy for me to just have my wedding and not care and just be like, right. oh, that's fine, you know, and I would have enjoyed it like normal. Mm-hmm. But because I am in the field and because I understand the complexity and the intensity of what's happening, I couldn't in good conscience have a wedding in October and knowing that people could get sick and could die from my own event. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I've talked, my sister will have an article out, actually out about this, about the grief of wedding planning in a pandemic, because really the most like hype i think that society will put on a day is on a wedding day and that your wedding day has to be perfect and it has to be everything that you want and it has to be this magical day and covid literally like robs that from you because now you can't have the perfect day that you want i couldn't have a wedding shower i couldn't have the bachelorette party that i would have wanted i am not having these you know, get togethers with my family to plan it. All of this is gone. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to deal with because you're not going to get that back. I'm not going to hopefully not get married again. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Uh, but yeah, you just kind of, it's another layer of grief that you've gotten this beautiful day that's supposed to be beautiful and perfect. And now it's going to be taken from you. And, you know, Fortunately, I am vaccinated fully against COVID-19, and so is, so is my fiance. 
which mm. is great. And we're hoping that people, especially now that they've just announced that the Johnson and Johnson Johnson and Johnson vaccine is good to go. I'm hoping a lot more people will be vaccinated uh, by the time our wedding rolls around here in May. Mm-hmm. But um, as long as the CDC is recommending mask wearing, I'm going to have to say my vows to a face of masks. And right. to say that out loud is very like it's emotional for me. I want to yep. look at my friends and family when I'm professing my love to my partner. And now it's going to feel sterile and it's going to feel inhuman. And that that right. is difficult for me to process. Even now, um, I'm kind of in the acceptance part of it. Um, yeah. You know, it's when it's at these moments that are very dark and sad that you really have to pull out your gratitude. And mm-hmm. knowing that I am going to be marrying the love of my life, like that is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And that is the part we need to focus on. And I think wow. part of that has to do with society's so much hype about a wedding that mm-hmm. it you kind of lose the core meaning of what, why you're doing what you're doing and you, you try to make it all about the party. Mm-hmm. And so really trying to focus on the true meaning of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that's really what's going to keep me motivated to stay present and enjoy <laughs> the real moment of what's actually going to be happening, which is... Professing my love, yeah. <laughs> <To Drake. laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, I forgot it was the um, the sterile thing that you mentioned because um Mary Kay and I were talking because she got married last year mm-hmm. and you know, mid-pandemic, she also expressed the same concern as you did as as you professed your love to the love of your life, you turn around and you see a sea of masks, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that was supposed to be very joyful. Everyone's smiling. You don't get to see the smile. You just see eyes. But you see you see happy eyes. Yeah, you know? a little, yeah. Little, Crunch, little scrunched up eyes, yeah. Exactly. But you lose that additional sense of, you know, connection with someone else. And, it feels disconnected. Right. Sure. Do you feel like an additional level of disconnect um, since the pandemic started? Um, even though that we have the technology to communicate with people, like as we are doing right mm-hmm. now over Discord. Um with masks and everything else, do you feel more frustrated or do you feel like an additional barrier was introduced in relating or talking to other people? Hmm. Well, I think humans are naturally physical beings. You know, we want to be like, we want to be touched. We want to shake hands. We want to hug. We, you know, we want that, that sense of, I don't even know how to describe it, but um, connection, connection. Yeah. We crave, we crave that, that connection to other human beings which obviously you don't get if you're, um, you know, obviously in this pandemic, but I mean, even like going to a concert or a football game, you Mm -hmm. know, just the sense of being with a bunch of people, it gives you that sense of like oneness, like uh, that Mm. you're part of something bigger. When you're by yourself in your home, it's very isolating and you don't feel that sense of connection to other human beings. I'm very fortunate because I didn't lose my job and mm-hmm. I still have to go to work every day. I get my temperature checked every day and I get a new mask every day to wear. Mm-hmm. And I only take that mask off when I eat, when I'm at work. And uh, so I'm fortunate that I still get human interaction every day from my coworkers. Um, but some people, a lot of people um, got stuck in their homes. And if they didn't have a family to be around or if they only had one person or, or however many people, sense of isolation I can imagine like I was experiencing it and yet I get to see people every day the sense of isolation that we could all feel from that is just 
I can only imagine is overwhelming. I think I was telling a couple people last year that a lot of people spent, as you said, isolated indoors, and it gave them a lot of time to spend with themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. question themselves, who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of reflection. A lot of reflection, indeed. And even though 2020 absolutely 1000% sucked, I always joke that it was the year of the most sight because, you know, 2024 sight and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like it like gave that. people, yeah, it gave people the ability to just see and kind of discover more about themselves. What really mm. makes them tick? Like one of the biggest issues that I went through and a bunch of everyone else went through was questioning their purpose on the world. Mm-hmm. And it was, what am I doing here? What's the goals in life? Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my best friends said to me, it's like, Andrew, the game is paused. Like everything is paused. We're trying to just survive right now. And seeing that collective understanding and seeing everyone kind of like come together and just say, yo, we get it kind of thing. It's okay mm-hmm. to be on pause. It's okay to take a moment to yourself. It's okay mm-hmm. to just be in the moment and not worry about anything else right now. It, I found it very empowering, but it took a lot of mental strength and fortitude to get to that point even. I don't even know where to go from there, but it's just... <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know... As a fellow K-pop fan, what you said really resonated with the song that BTS came out called Life Goes On. Mm -hmm. And the message for that really rang true for me. And it sounds exactly like you're saying. And the message of the song is, yes, the world has stopped, but life goes on. And life keeps pushing forward. And we keep taking each day and taking the most of it. Even if the world has stopped, we are still progressing forward. We are still moving forward through this life. And I like what you said. I think the world has really, like you said, paused and it made us really appreciate the life, the life that we had and what we took for granted. And I think now we just have so much more of an appreciation and a love for human interaction, for collective interests, for, mm-hmm. I mean, just as simple as us being in a Virginia Tech marching band on game day with all those people like the best moments of my life Mm -hmm. and that's not happening right now Mm -hmm. and you just think about like how incredible those moments are and then when we do have them again because we will have them again i miss the apples oh my gosh game day apples (laughs) game day apples yes but it really when that like you know obviously we're out of college but if we were Mm -hmm. to have a game day apple again after all of this that apple would be the sweetest most delicious apple we'd ever had and i think that the moments that are going to come once we emerge from this cocoon of a pandemic is going to be just a greater appreciation for ourselves and for our communities and just our collective society Mm -hmm. especially with the vaccine rolling out because Mm -hmm. um a couple friends noted that after they got the vaccine they the one thing they said that they were most looking forward to was hugging people Mm. give them high fives hugging them just you know, physical touch, because that it's a component of being a human, because we mm-hmm. miss that, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, guy, like going back to like the BTS thing. Um, <laughs> what was it called again? It was life, life goes, goes on. on. Life goes on. Um, is that your mantra currently? Or like, what what is your mantra that you've been telling yourself day to day? Well, I well, obviously, life goes on is a great mantra to live by. Mm-hmm. But I've, I mean, for really, most of my adult life, that my mantra that I exist by is I am light. I strive to be light. I strive to be kind to others and to be kind to myself, to be a beacon 
in the darkness. That is what I strive for. And I always have to challenge myself. Like if I find myself being judgmental of others or myself to really mm-hmm. stop and say, that's, that's not light, that's darkness. And to make every effort to push towards that, that goal, that light, to be that energy, that warm energy mm-hmm. is something that really keeps me pushing forward. And it helps me when I get to a dark place because it's like, you know that this energy, a negative energy, though it's okay to feel it in the moment, to linger in it is only going to create more darkness around you. Wow. So I feel like that, you know, you feel those dark moments, acknowledge them and appreciate them, and then move towards the light. Wow. Now, now you have me questioning what my mantra is, because <laughs> <laughs> I used to have one, but this pandemic turned everything upside down. Mm-hmm. Um what's yours now you know honestly i kind of joke around with friends but like right now it's kind of survive it's just Mm -hmm. that one word survive because i'm just Mm -hmm. trying to get through life but Mm -hmm. um survive is such a good one though because i think it's 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 a acknowledging that survival is one of the most important things that we can do mm -hmm. and that it's okay to just survive right now Yes, that that's true. Live in the present and survive. But actually, I do remember because um, <laughs> I looked it up on my Facebook profile because it's when they had the like those quotes and everything that you could put on your profile. But mm-hmm. it was that one quote that was in Meet the Robinsons, but it was a quote from Walt Disney. But to sum it up, it was just, I think, three words. Keep moving forward or just keep moving keep and moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and. I think, I don't know, 13-year-old me just found that quote super inspiring, just keep moving forward. And it's just despite all odds, we keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. You know, when the pandemic first came out and I was, you know, locked in my apartment, I just thought, this is it. You know, I'm going to be alone, going to die alone. I have friends, but I can't see them kind of thing. Felt so cut off from everything. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think you talked about it earlier, but it's like, you know, I'm here. I'm stuck in this present moment, but I need to cut that path forward. I need to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if not for someone else, for me. Mm-hmm. And again, that took a lot of mental fortitude. Like I had to go to therapy. A lot of people had to go to therapy oh. for that because it therapy was a, is cool. Therapy FYI, is cool. Therapy is cool. Everybody <laughs> should go. Everybody should go. I've been recommending that to everybody because I remember just sitting there in a therapy session and my therapist just asked me a question. I'm like, I'll get back to you in 20 minutes. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, I um, think that even if you feel well or feel mentally well, it's like going to a doctor. You know, yes. you go to a doctor every year to get your make sure your body is doing good. You should go to therapy every year just to see if your brain's doing good. Absolutely. Uh, my therapist and I actually, we talked about that and we decided to go at the start of every season. So three times a year, four times a year. I, mm-hmm. I I know my seasons, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I don't know, just like having someone that you don't really know be your mirror is just something, I don't know, it's beautiful in the sense that you can relate with a total stranger. And not all therapists are like that because you have to find, you know, mm-hmm. one that gels well with you. But That's having it. someone be that mirror is great. Right. And the the key part in that is that it's a stranger. You don't mm-hmm. have that same pressure to behave a certain way or act a certain way. This person is literally there just to be like, I mean, 
you're doing all the work. Because my sister says, she's like, my patients do all the work. I'm just there to facilitate it and to give them a space and open up a space for them to make that growth. It's kind of like a safe space, you know, you don't Mm -hmm. have to deal with judgments and everything you say to them is confidential. So you can say literally whatever you want and process however you need to process. And it's Mm -hmm. very (laughs) therapeutic. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) Did you, did you also go to therapy during like, uh, when the pandemic came out and you were dealing with the fire at work and the, you know, lockdown initially, did you find that helpful as well? I will say, I wish I had, I was seeing, I was in therapy pretty much all through 2019. Um, Mm -hmm. so I had a lot of good building blocks and good tools in my toolkit going into COVID. And also, as I mentioned earlier, my twin sister's therapist, and though she, (laughs) she cannot give me therapy because she's not an objective party. She's Mm -hmm. a very good person for me to talk to and open up with because she has a very good ear and she can listen and she's good at challenging me when I'm feeling certain kinds of ways. Um, but I think it definitely, I mean, I've been thinking about it lately, about scheduling a, a new therapy session, um, just to kind of do a check-in and make sure everything is mentally going. Because sometimes mm-hmm. I've, I've, I think I've gone to, I think three different therapists so far in my life, just in different stages of my life. Same. And I yep. find that every time I go into them feeling fine, and then they ask like one question and I start talking and then I start crying. I'm like, oh, all these feelings that I haven't been processing are now coming out. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something I probably should just to process what all have I experienced during this entire global event and how has it changed me and how is it going to affect my perspective moving forward? Mm-hmm. And how can I take everything that we've experienced and use it towards good and use it towards a better you know, future? You know, actually, speaking on perspective, how has COVID kind of changed your perspective on humanity and seeing that you are somewhat on the front lines, as you mentioned before? So to answer your question, I think it's honestly a little bittersweet because seeing the mixed reactions to COVID, it really has saddened me that there is this loss for expertise, like loss of respect for expertise, I should say, in some facets of our society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, I say, oh, like, I need to, I know nothing about the environment or, or about like, I, I can't even like any kind of expertise you can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's a computer scientist, I know nothing about computer science. So if my mom tells me something about computer science, who has a master's degree in it, I'm going to say, yes, I believe that you know what you're talking about and I will will work based off that information. If I tell you something about a microorganism and I would expect people to th- say, yeah, Lexi knows what she's talking about because she's literally studied it. And I think that as we got into COVID, you had these experts and you know, science is always changing. That's the beauty of it is that it's always adapting and shifting as soon as it gets more data. <sighs> And people, you know, these scientists will come out and say one thing and people will be like, well, no, I Googled this. It's just this misinformation that's really permeated through our society. That's very disheartening to see. And it makes me lose a little bit of faith in our society. But I think those voices are the loudest, not necessarily the most, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So I think most people are um, still in the right mindset of making sure you're questioning what you know, but also acknowledging 
where information is coming from and being able to filter out fact from fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it 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 does break my heart a lot. Even, I mean, I was told that a lot of our phlebotomists wouldn't get the vaccine because they didn't trust it because they were getting a lot of misinformation, even though they're the ones going into the rooms, you know, with these patients, but it's because, well, and you know, you're going to be scared if you're told that, you know, this vaccine is going to make you infertile or this vaccine is going to, you know, give you cancer. Like, you know, if you hear these crazy things, why would you get it? If you don't know how to challenge what you know and how to do your own research. Mm -hmm. Um, your due, so, due diligence. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of scary. But I think that we as a society will persevere. And I think we, we've we seen that as moving through the pandemic, um, seeing the vaccines roll out. And I will say, at least from what I can tell, we went, I, this is great news, before Friday, we went four days with no positive. Uh, wow, test. that is amazing. Yeah, four days with no positive COVID test. And mm-hmm. uh, we currently, as of Friday, have only 13 COVID positive patients in our hospital. Wow. And a few months ago, we had like over 100. We were max capacity. Goodness. So the good news is, is that people are getting these vaccines. People, Most people are trusting it. And it is making a difference. And I think that... Um, the more that people get it, and I know some people are annoyed by the vaccine, like share a picture of your vaccine documentation trend. Right. Yeah. But I think it is so important because the more people that do it say, hey, I got this vaccine, maybe their cousin who was hesitant, sharing that information and making sure people know, like, I just had like body aches the day after my second shot. Mm. And I stayed home because I wanted to make sure like I was like hydrating myself. But other than that, it was fine. And um, there's a misconception up, out there about like these were made really fast. But when I said earlier at the beginning of this podcast about SARS and MERS, scientists have been working on vaccines for coronavirus for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that we didn't, there was ne- not necessarily a push to to get them done super quickly because it wasn't a thing anymore. So there, there's always been the strong foundation for these COVID vaccines. And now with this new mRNA, mRNA technology, um, all of the steps were still taken that needed to be taken, even without a pandemic, to get these vaccines out. The only thing that changed uh, was the duration of post-study, like post-administration mm-hmm. study. You know, oh. usually it takes like years or whatever, but they get the emergency use to do it mm-hmm. well it sounds so. like we're at the close to the light at the end of the tunnel then yes i would there. i would agree with that i think that if you guys need any words of encouragement if you're getting the vaccine your friends are getting the vaccine and even when you get the vaccine still wear your mask still wash your hands still social distance um because until we get a bulk of the this is the community vaccinated. It's not going to be 100% safe because they do believe that you can still um, transmit the virus even if you're vaccinated and you don't get sick. You can still carry it and give it to other people. So that's why it's still yep. so important. Even if you can't get sick, which is great and protects you, you still need to make sure you're doing all the proper precautions to protect your loved ones and even strangers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
Well, Lexi, I think that's the time we have for today yeah. for the podcast. <laughs> I'd like to thank you so much for coming out and taking time out of your day, your busy schedule. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, it was very hard to schedule Lexi. So please, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> uh, but uh, Lexi, is there anything, any last words you'd like to give to our listeners? Any call to action? Uh, to the only call of action I have is be kind to yourself. Even on days when you feel like you didn't do anything or days that you felt like you weren't productive or if you did something stupid or you didn't do that chore you wanted to do, be kind Mm -hmm. to yourself. Just as you would want, you know, just as you would be kind to other people and give that same empathy that you should others to yourself. That's my call to action. Love it. Love it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this was Lexi. I'm Andrew. I'm Lexi. (laughs) This is Andrew. (laughs) Have a good one, guys. Talk soon.